sometimes we try a little too hard to help Jesus solve the problem. When the truth is, we need to just offer Him our faith and our trust in this journey. Because it is called a journey of faith. in this At the Table series. We're looking at meals that Jesus shared that are described in Luke's Gospel. This weekend we're going to go to Martha's house. Actually it's Martha, Mary and Lazarus's house because they, two sisters and a brother, they shared the house together. And let's take a look. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. One of the great things about being part of Timberline Church is that, for me, I get to meet Timberliners just about wherever I go. And I'm, I'm not just talking locally, I'm talking Denver, I'm talking, I bumped into Timberliners in England, in France, in Italy. You people are everywhere. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And particularly in Fort Collins, just about anywhere uh, I go, I, I, I meet Timberliners. And uh, it's great. Um, it does mean that I have to behave. My opportunities for naughtiness are thereby limited. But um, it can be a bit embarrassing too. I, I went to one restaurant with Kay a while ago. Uh, we walked into this restaurant in, I won't say where, but it was Austin's. And I <laughs> went into this restaurant and there's about eight people sitting at a table. And I, we walked in and they waved and smiled. And I thought, Timberliners. So I, I went over there and... Um, said, hey, how you doing? They said, good, how you doing? And I'm blithering on, you know. And I said, well, they said, what have you been up to? And I said, I just got back from England, long flight, food lovingly prepared by a demonized chef, you know. And, and we were visiting away. And then suddenly I sensed tension around the table. You know that when you think something's not right here. And they're, they're glancing at each other nervously and, so I said, uh, I said, can I just ask this? I said, um, you don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> they said, uh, we've never seen you before in our lives. I said, right, good. I will go away forever now. I said, but, but you waved at me when I came in. They said it was a guy behind you. It was tense and it was embarrassing. Right here is a story where there is tension 
and some embarrassment. Martha, Mary. There were some homes that Jesus absolutely loved to be in. He hung out there a lot. And this was in Bethany, and he's there a lot. And Martha is pretty frantic. Jesus is here. She's got feet to wash and conversations to nurture and food to cook. And, and, and the word that's used here is that she's distracted. The word means to be pulled away, dragged away. The descriptor is she's worried and upset, distracted. I think that's us. I think we're busy and frantic and a little upset. Now, I have to, I have to share a word of confession. Okay, this is just between us. So lean forward slightly. Just lean forward. Lean forward. Some of you are going, I will not lean forward. The 4th of July is coming up. Don't you come here and tell us how we should posture ourselves. This is America, buddy. Get over yourselves. Lean forward. Lean forward. I share this with you in one of the busiest weeks of my life. So I look at this and I think, I don't want to preach this. I just, want to, I just want to say this stuff and then go home, eat dead chicken. That's what I want to do. And I don't want to give you the impression that I'm standing up here having arrived in this. No, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. So I just have to make that confession. You, you can lean back now. Thank you for that chiropractic cooperation. We're, we're busy. Our brains are busier than before. We are assailed with facts and pseudo-facts and jibber-jabber. Glenn Wilson, visiting professor of psychology in London, he calls it infomania. Infomania. We're obsessed with information. Brady Boyd, who is a pastor in Colorado Springs, New Life Church, he's written a brilliant book, Addicted to Busy. He says we're a FOMO culture. FOMO. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. You see, that's why some of us felt a little agitated when we turned off our cell phones earlier. Because it is just possible that in the next 40 minutes, someone may post a photograph of a cheeseburger on Facebook. And we might not be there to see that thing. Fear of missing out. Not only that, it's a status thing. It's kind of it's kind of a status thing to be busy. How, how you doing? Well, I'm, places to go, things to do, people to see. Stephen Covey or Covey or whatever. He said people expect us to be busy, overworked. It's become a status symbol in our society. If we're busy, we're important. If we're not busy. We're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular, pleasing. It's also a good excuse for not dealing with the first things in our lives. And here's what can happen. Busyness can become our default setting. You know what a default setting is? It's the basic setting on your computer. It's the factory setting that fundamentally is the way it is. Busyness has become my default setting. I confess it. So people say to me, hey, hey, Jeff, how you doing? I go, I'm good, but I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> tired. <laughs> you, 
you, sir, can come with me everywhere I go. <laughs> like, I went on vacation recently. And my normal thing, how are you doing, Jeff? Fine, I'm tired. I'm tired. I went on vacation and I had a really restful time. And I came back, rested. And someone came up to me and they said, hey, Jeff, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm fine, but I'm tired. And then I thought, no, I'm not. But you see how it had become part of my identity. I don't think God wants us to live this way. I know this is not easy, but what can we learn? And by the way, I'm not thinking that I can just tell you a few things and somehow that will make it all good. But I tell you what, what I'm talking about today is not a consumer option for better living. When I was praying about this this morning, I felt passion. I'm feeling passion about this today. I read recently, just a few days ago, America will fall on the sword of the fourth commandment. Think about that. The fourth commandment is about Sabbath rest. That if we don't get this right, who knows what damage will be done. So what can we learn from here? First of all, let's learn that we are called to abundant living. We are called to abundant living. Shalom. The thief, Jesus says, comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John chapter 10, verse 10. Abundant life, says one translation. Our Jewish friends, when they begin the Sabbath at sundown on Friday, they end it sundown on Saturday, they have the Kedush cup. The Kedush cup is a cup cup saucer you can buy one for about 20 bucks on amazon they fill the cup with wine and deliberately it spills over as a pictorial demonstration of the kind of life that god wants us to live and the word shalom it doesn't just mean peace shalom theologically means every person living under their own fig tree to use old testament language At peace with God, at peace with themselves, at peace with their neighbor, at peace with their environment, shalom. The Jews greet each other with the greeting, Shabbat shalom. May your day of no work be peaceful. The response, Shabbat shalom. May your day of no work be peaceful also. But we're living, we're living in a go to work to get the money, to buy the food, to give us the strength, to go to work, to get the money, to buy the food, to give us the strength, to go to work. I've been practicing. I was in front of the mirror. My wife thinks I'm really strange. Go to work. This is a very interactive message this weekend. It's, uh, and and it's, uh, when we do that, we, we're not fully present in the moment because we're rushing around thinking about the next thing, which is why in the bathroom recently, I stood there for 60 seconds waiting for the hot air to come out and dry my hands whilst placing my hands under a towel dispenser. People are walking by going, why is he worshipping a towel dispenser? Why? Because I'm not fully there. I'm thinking about the next thing. When we live like this, we don't fulfill our potential. This is not just about busyness. This is about a woman taking the posture of a man. No woman was ever allowed to sit at a rabbi's feet. She was allowed to learn the Torah, 
But to sit at the feet of a rabbi was male territory. So Mary is breaking out of that restrictive stereotype and emerging into something much more beautiful. And Jesus doesn't say to Mary, Honey, just get back in the kitchen. It's beautiful and she's fulfilling her potential. When we live like this, we avoid just being angry. I mean, Martha's mad at Mary. She's mad at Jesus. <laughs> She's in the kitchen. Can you, I, my imagination goes crazy. I can hear her bashing the pots and pans around. And, and you can hear her huffing and puffing. <laughs> and then she comes by. You know, she walks through the room where they're sitting. And she does the eyes thing. She's angry. See, when you're like this, you're angry. You're irrationally angry. You go to the grocery store. You've got five items. And you go to the ten item express lane. Because you're busy. There's a person in front of you. And you suspect. They may have 12 items in their basket and we're not even counting the eggs. Don't you, you count. And you want to say, call the FBI. You're angry. Charles Hummel, in his book, Freedom from the Tyranny of the Urgent, he says, tension and frustration mount when we're performing the wrong tasks or trying to cram too many of the right activities into a given period. A critical spirit develops, and we begin to judge and condemn others for what they do or don't do. Are we living angry because we're so busy? Secondly, secondly, it's time to take responsibility for our time. It's time to take responsibility for our time. Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, the apostle says, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What's that saying? That's saying that we can take responsibility. When Jesus speaks to Martha, he's inviting her to respond and make an adjustment to take control. Uh, some while ago, Kay and I were on a very long flight, and there was a, a little child, a precious little child, sitting in front of us who had a ministry of screaming. <laughs> Her screaming, indeed, could be heard on Pluto and was incessant for two or three hours. It was high-pitched and loud. And, and Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad and a, and a grandparent, so I remember those days. There were some people on the plane who either didn't have kids or forgot what it's like. So they're like, or they're making horsey noises, you know. <laughs> Call the flight attendant, give the dude some hay, you know. And they, they're trying to quieten this child down. And it was, it was fantastic because they're saying, shh, 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 honey, shh. And after a I don't know how long I'm trying to do that. Suddenly this little girl, she just said, It's no 
good. I just can't be quiet. And some of us right now are thinking, it's no good. You can say what you like, Pastor Jeff, but I can't do anything about this. And I know there are limits. But we can live under our schedule. As if, as if, it, as if it embodies authority. As if we're powerless to change anything. Or we can hide behind it. Because busyness gives us a reason to not stop and think. Let's just start making baby steps. I mean, here's a blasphemous thought. Turn the phone off. (laughs) Switch off (laughs) that email notification. Um, Don't look at a screen for the first and last hours of your day. Give yourself a technology Sabbath. Uh, People say, don't just stand there, do something. Don't just do something, stand there. (laughs) Let's make some steps. Wayne Muller says, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack creates Sabbaths for us. Are we willing to make small steps? Thirdly, Thirdly, let's remember we have given our lives to Jesus. We've given our lives to Jesus. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. Okay. There's a principle. There's a command. James 4. Look at this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. My car recently, the wheels went out of alignment. And I was driving along and I could feel myself drifting to the, towards the pavement. You call it the sidewalk. We call it the pavement. That's not important right now, but we were drifting. So I tested, and and, and please, I only did this just for a moment, officer. But I took my hands off the steering wheel just for a moment, and the car's drifting. That's me. You see, I I, want to believe that I will automatically get this right. But everything swerves to rot. And if we don't monitor this, Here's what happens. We give our lives to Jesus and then we incrementally take them back. And we start to rush into decisions without prayerfully consulting him, submitting them to him. Have we given our lives to Jesus? And then taking them back. The old hymn writer says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless, endless praise. Number four, know how to say yes, no, or not now. Know how to say yes, no, or not now. Jesus knew how to say no to people. When Lazarus got sick, 
Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to go to him, and he said, not yet. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus knew how to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Now, there are some people who they continuously know people. You ever met them? They're just completely inflexible. They'll, they'll say stuff like, I'm really sorry, but God hasn't called me to serve. I'm like, what? Don't become a no person, but don't always become endlessly a yes person. Sitting, someone has said, sitting without serving is powerless. Serving without sitting is directionless. Serving after sitting produces power and balance. This is not about not serving. This follows the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a story of sacrificial service. But if we don't learn how to say yes, no, not now, I'll tell you what we'll end up doing. We'll end up giving Jesus what Jesus doesn't want. Because he didn't want a big meal. He wanted to hang out with Mary and Martha. In the early years of my Christian life, I was paranoid about doing the right thing. And I, I, just, I gave Jesus some stuff he didn't want. And there's a danger that we can do that. I, I want to live that life of peace. I discovered this in the New Zealand prayer book this week. Here's a prayer you might want to pray at the end of the day. It is night after a long day. What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. Now, I know that sounds like a Beatles song, but the principle there, nonetheless, is true. Number five. Number five, experience the power of loving rebuke. Experience the power of loving rebuke. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. I'm not being irreverent here. Um, just to say this, the way this is translated, it kind of makes Jesus sound like a British chap, doesn't it? My dear Martha. My dear Martha. Now, why does it say that? It's because in the original, Jesus says Martha's name twice, which is a term of endearment. Martha. Martha. It's very loving, and so the translator has captured that with my dear Martha. But he does go on to tell her off. I mean, get, get this. You're cooking a big meal for Jesus. And he says, yeah. He gently rebukes her. Now, that, that doesn't normally happen around a meal table. Isn't it embarrassing when a conversation gets difficult over dinner? Because we, we're polite. We're nice. You know, we, we don't eat that. But we do eat that when we go for dinner with that person. We announce that it is truly delicious. Because we're polite. Sometimes it goes wrong. I heard a lovely story about a couple. They invited some friends over from the church for dinner. You know what that's like. You invite Timberline people over for dinner. You want your kids to behave, don't you? You threaten your children. You say, listen, if you don't behave, you're going to be grounded for the next 48 years. There's no college, you know. And it's really awesome if your kids are so great that not only do they play 7,000 musical instruments, but if they like to pray for the food to give thanks, I mean, that's especially impressive. 
So these folks had some friends over for dinner from the church. And the lady of the house, she said, Jimmy, little Jimmy, age four or five, said, Jimmy, just give thanks for us, will you? And Jimmy wonderfully said, no. She said, come now, Jimmy. Remember our earlier little chat? Just give thanks for us, please. Just go ahead. He said, N-O, no. She said, Jimmy, come now. Just say what Daddy said at breakfast this morning. And Jimmy bowed his head and closed his eyes and said, Oh, Lord, we've got those awful people coming for dinner tonight. The dinner table is a place of politeness. But here is Jesus confronting Martha. Who can tell you the truth? The people have permission to offend you, tell you the truth. I said to my wife this morning, I put a different shirt on from this. And I said to I said, honey, what do you think? She said, change it. You know, or you'll, you'll say, honey, do my, do my shoulders look big in this? That's the Christian version. Yeah, you look great. You look great. Who can tell us the truth? Let me be a little bit subversive here. As a pastor... As a pastor, can we, as your pastors, those of us who serve here, can we offend you? Can we, can we say stuff that will good under your skin? And you go out of here going, <sighs> You see, the sermon should not end a search. It should activate it. So that we go out of here and we, wow, I've got to think about that. Can Jesus offend you? Is he allowed? Have you ever seen those nodding dogs that people have in the back of their cars? I mean, it's, some of you have got these, so I'm going to be very careful. And I'm sure that they are beautiful improvements to an automobile. <laughs> and you know what's really exciting? When you go around a corner, they nod more. It's awesome. And some of us want a nodding God. When you think about this, Jesus, sure, sure, good. Speaking and coordinating this nodding is a bit of a challenge for me. So that sounds a bit irreverent. I'll tell you what's irreverent is turning God into a yes person who always agrees with us. Can God... Offenders, can others have permission to speak into our lives? Number six, establish the disruptive priority of the church. Establish the disruptive priority of church. Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. 
as was his custom. He stood up to read. This was his habit. The average church attendance in America and in Europe among committed Christians is now approximately one and a half times a month. Thirty years ago, it was three times a week. Now, some of that was wrong because, like, preachers stood up and kind of gave the impression, you know, if you're not here Sunday night and Wednesday, then it is possible that God is going to kill you. So that was wrong. But have we done a pendulum swing and forgotten the importance of covenantal celebration? Because, you see, here's what happens. When I get up and I drive out this morning and I see my English neighbor and I wind down the window and we look at each other and we go, man, we've got to get together this week and talk. And I drive away from that conversation and my mind is full of fear. And you see, what happens is this. I come in here. And I bump into you and we sing our songs and we pray our prayers and we open the book and I reboot my soul. So that right now, at this moment, I'm able to say, whatever happens in this world, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because just as when you turn your phone off when it kind of gets a bit weird. You ever done that? Here's a bit of technical advice. It's very sophisticated. Your computer goes wrong. Your phone goes wrong. Jeffrey's technical advice. Turneth it off and then verily turneth it back on again. And behold. <laughs> a rebooting. Dear, a rebooting takes place. That's what happened to me today. And it's not just in here, it's out there. It's rubbing shoulders. It's being with believers. Let's make this a priority. Well, let's wrap this up. Although, wouldn't it be rude to end a message on busyness by rushing it? That'd be wrong, wouldn't it? What happened to Martha? Did she quit serving? No. Because later on in the story, Lazarus dies and Jesus raises him from the dead. I love that episode in the King James Version. They're standing outside the tomb. And one of the ladies says to Jesus, she says, But Lord, by now they stinketh. I want that on a refrigerator magnet. Stinketh. Lazarus comes out, he's raised from the dead, and later they have a meal. I hope the meal was good. I hope Lazarus showered first. Who's serving, Martha? She's still serving. She didn't give up serving. But let me also tell you this about Martha. Martha makes one of the two great Christological statements in the Gospels. One is from Peter, and the other is from Martha, she says this to Jesus. You listen to the theological profundity and depth of this. She says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. She is streets ahead. She's serving, but there's insight as well. Timberline family, 
Let's ask the Lord to teach us his rhythm. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, because when you speak truth to us, you do so not to berate us, but to lift us. This abundant life thing, Lord, we'd like to really not just believe in it, but taste it. We'd like you to teach us. We'd like to unlearn our rhythms and learn yours. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit here right now. As our heads are bowed, I'm going to give a simple invitation. I talked earlier about giving our lives to Jesus and then incrementally taking them back. Now please listen carefully. Please don't respond to this if you're just saying, Hey, Pastor Jeff, I need help with this. I could do better. That's not my question. I'm talking to people. And when I said, giving your life to Jesus and then gradually taking it back, you're like, that's me. I didn't intend to do that. But it's happened. And I don't want to do that. I want him to have my life in this season. In a moment, in a second or two, I'm going to invite you to respond if you would like to give that life back to him. Or if you would like to make a decision to give him your life for the very first time. Jesus died on a cross to deal with every barrier between us and God. He's raised from the dead. He's beaten death. And now he wants to teach us how to live. We turn our, our lives over to him with the desire to move in his direction rather than our own. How does that begin? That begins by us making a decision right now. At least there's the opportunity. Would you like to make that decision? So as I'm looking around, as our heads are bowed, if you're giving your life back to Jesus, or if you want to make that decision, that step, for the first time, I want to ask you, I'm not going to draw this out, for the, just immediately, that's where you're at. Would you slip up your hand and hold it up there for a moment, please? I am coming to him for the first time. I'm giving my life back. I invite you just to lower your hand, but just keep it open. We pray for each one here today, Lord. Thank you for your activity in this service. Holy Spirit, we invite you to reveal Jesus to those who are making that first time step. Reveal Jesus to those of us who are wanting to hand the authority back to you. May this not just be a moment, a poignant moment, 10.59 on a Sunday morning. May fruit come. We agree together. In Jesus' name. Amen.